0: This is the New Song Church podcast. You're listening to a service from our church in Oklahoma City. Wherever you're at today, we hope this helps you to better know God and to practice the way of Jesus. Now, here's the message. Second service. How's it going? God's presence is here. So thankful. So thankful that he would honor us and grace us with his presence like that this morning. Um, Aren't you grateful? Aren't you thankful that he comes where he's wanted? Aren't you thankful that there is a throne? It's an occupied throne. God rules, God reigns. I'm so thankful for what he's doing in our church, in our city. Lord, we love you. Lord, we love you. We're thankful, God. Let us never get used to your presence. May we always stand in awe, Lord. We love you, God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. It's not that worship was so good, it's that you're so good, God. You're so good. Thank you, Lord. We love you. We welcome you here. We give you our attention. We give you our focus as we go into the word, Lord. You're worthy of it all. You're worthy of it all. I, I pray against any distractions, um, any anxiety, any troubled minds, any fidgety fidgety hands, fidgety minds, Lord. I just pray that you would help us to get still in your presence, that you would speak to our hearts Lord we are here for you we really are here for you we know you want to speak today so we open our hearts we open our ears we humble ourselves before you Lord thank you that you've been so merciful so good thank you we're honored by your presence today we really are we're honored that you would come thank you Lord In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Such a sweet presence in the house this morning. Um, Before we get into the message, I have a couple of announcements. Check them out on the app, Festival, register, equip, register, The baby shower for Embrace Grace is coming up. It's our biggest semester ever. We have eight women who have been coming on Wednesday nights to gather around the word. Yes, these women have chosen life and we want to be the body of Christ. We want to be the hands and feet of Jesus and support them in their decision. To choose life. So there's a baby registry on Amazon. There's like 350 something items. If you would check that out on the app, share that with your friends, coworkers. We wanna knock that list down to zero items. We wanna make sure they have everything they need for a baby's first year of life. So um, help us out with that. Sound good? Yes. All right. Well, we are um, in the middle of a series called Alters. And Pastor Josh did a great job laying out the framework for what altars are in scripture in week one. We know now that altars are memorials of the places where God meets us, places where God meets us. Um, They're places where we memorialize theophany. Uh, We see in scripture that altars are places of encounter, encounter, like when Jacob encountered the living God. What did he do the next day? He built an altar to mark that place. Of encounter, We also see in scripture that altars are a place of sacrifice and a place of forgiveness. If you've been going through uh, the discipleship class with Pastor Ken and Pastor Tondrai, you know that in the tabernacle of Moses, there was a brazen altar, and the priest would have to bring an animal sacrifice there um, to cover the sins of the people of um, Israel. Now, we are not required anymore to go into a tabernacle to a brazen altar with an animal sacrifice because... As Hebrews tells us in chapter 9, verse 11, it says, so Christ has now become the high priest over all the good things, the new and better covenant. He's the high priest over all the good things that have come. He has entered the more perfect tabernacle in heaven, which was not made by human hands and is not part of this created world with his own blood, not the blood of goats and calves. He entered that most holy place once for all time and he secured our redemption forever. Amen. The cross was an altar. Altars are places of sacrifice. The cross was an altar. And how many know that we are called to pick up our cross and to follow after him? Our lives are to be lived at the altar on the altar. Dallas Willard says Jesus didn't die on the cross so that we didn't have to. He died on the cross so that we would join him, so that we would live laid down lives, so that in view of the mercy, in view of the cross, that we would offer our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. The cross was an altar. Altars are places of worship and prayer, so they're places of encounter, their are places of sacrifice and forgiveness and places of worship and prayer. Now the most common altar that was built by the people of God um, to offer prayer and to offer praise was the altar of incense, um, which was in the holy place and priests would go in there and they would light this special incense as they worshiped and as they prayed and this incense would rise and it was a symbol, it was symbolic of their prayer and their worship rising as a sweet fragrance, a pleasing aroma into the nostrils of God. Uh, When we sing that song, sometimes here at New Song, day and night, night and day, let incense arise, it's talking about this altar of incense where we offer prayer and worship. So altars are places of encounter, sacrifice, worship, and prayer. We've talked about how to build altars in our hearts, like it starts here, and then in our family, and then um, building altars in the church is where we're going today, the corporate Altar. You ready? All right. Uh, this summer, earlier this summer, me and Josh, we took our son Gus to his first concert in Tulsa, Fleet Foxes. It was awesome, by the way. Much better than my first concert in Tulsa, which was in sync. Um, <laughs> opened, uh, Britney Spears was the opener. It was a train wreck. Um, but yeah, we took him to a concert at Kane's Ballroom in Tulsa. And um, if you know the venue, you know it's general admission. And so if you want to like get a good spot, you got to get there early. And I want a good spot at a concert. Like I am not the person that can just go to the concert and hang out at the back and just be happy to hear the music. I want to be as close as possible. I want to see Robin's bare feet. I want to see the steam coming out of his tea. Like I want to be, I want to see it all. And so we get there super duper early. And uh, we get a pretty good spot, but because we get there early, we are waiting around for hours and we're all packed into this venue like sardines and um, you can't help but overhear some of the conversations that are taking uh, place around you. You're not trying to eavesdrop, you just can't help it. Um, So we're there, we're waiting. This guy turns around And he starts talking to the couple next to us. And I can tell, like, he just has this vibe. I know as soon as he turns around that he's gonna start evangelizing. And um, he does, he starts talking to this couple about Jesus. Now, it turns out this couple loves Jesus. They are followers of Jesus. So then the guy changes the subject a little bit and he proceeds for the next 20 minutes to bash the church. Just a good old-fashioned church church. Bashing. Now Guy seems to love Jesus. Like think about this, loves Jesus enough to in the middle of this um, crowded room, secular concert, turn around and talk to complete strangers about Jesus. Loves Jesus, but hates the church. Doesn't go to church, used to go to church, got burned, used to be a worship leader at a church, but now doesn't see the point of it. Like why, do we, why should we gathered in this room on the weekends? We should be out evangelizing on the streets. Now I felt for the couple that he was spewing on (laughs) because I could tell they were a little bit taken aback and a little bit kind of like, we actually kind of like our church. And um, they they didn't believe that maybe all churches were like the scandalized, secularized, polarized, diluted, watered down, impotent churches that do exist in America and that get a lot of attention in the media and that some of us have maybe been to or been a part of. They told him like, hey, you should come out or you should come check out our church. Um, It's not like the kind of churches that you're talking about, but he didn't seem super interested. He wanted to just keep talking about all of his issues with the church. Now, I um, listened quietly, practiced the discipline of silence. My heart was racing, Um, but I agreed with him on some levels. The church in America has compromised in a lot of areas. Like the church is supposed to be a place of healing, right? But there's been so much hurt that has um, come at the hands of pastors and of leaders and other believers, like people putting themselves out there and like, okay, I'm gonna do this, I'm gonna be a doer of the word, I'm gonna do life with these people and I'm gonna join a group and then those people that they do life with end up being the source of disappointment and pain. Christians can be very disappointing. I think some of the most um, hurtful relational things I've experienced in my life were from other Christians. Um, We've all seen stories about the moral failures of famous pastors. We've seen and heard about all the cover-ups, the inner denominational fracturing. Uh, We've seen young people taken advantage of. We've seen pastors that are filled with anger and wrath and slander and malice, let obscene talk come from their mouths, from the pulpit, from their uh, social media platforms. And then we've seen pastors who have pretended that following Jesus is the key to a perfect, plastic, happy, blessed life. A lot of compromise. Why is this? Um, I believe that it is in large part because the Western church has been focused on the wrong things. The Western church has been focused on things like buildings, facilities, numbers, programs, pastors trying to be famous, worship leaders trying to get famous, a lack of spiritual fathers, a lack of mentors in the body of Christ. Um, I think it has to do with, um, with the emergence of social media that role of a pastor being kind of glamorized and young men who love Jesus but also want a platform and want to be famous and want a pedestal are like, oh, that, I'll just combine these two and and maybe I'll get famous being a pastor. Um, The church has been caught up in social and political issues. It's been caught up in pleasing people and making people comfortable. The Western church has been distracted by the wrong things and as a result, it's lost its spiritual edge which has led to this trend, I'm all about Jesus, just not about his church. But the problem with I'm all about Jesus and just not his church is Jesus. (laughs) It's Jesus. If you're all about Jesus, but you're not about his church, you only halfway read Ephesians because Ephesians says that Jesus loved the church and gave himself up for her. It says that the church is the bride of Christ. It's his bride. The church is his body, the incarnate body of Christ. That's the church. The church, um, he says that he's the cornerstone. Jesus said he's the cornerstone of the church. So the problem with I'm all about Jesus, just not his church, is Jesus. The other problem with people who say that they're all about Jesus, just not his church, is that those people eventually end up walking away from Jesus. Saint John of the Cross wrote, the soul that is alone is like the burning coal that is alone. It will grow colder rather than hotter. And there's a lot of lone coals out there. This is interesting. In 1937, 1937, Gallup conducted its first poll on church membership, and they determined that 73% of Americans uh, were members at a church, a synagogue, or a mosque. Okay, 1937, that wasn't that long ago, 73% of all Americans were members of a church, synagogue, or a mosque. That number stayed right there around 70% for six decades. So like 60 years, 70% of people were a part of a church, synagogue, or a mosque. And then in 2018, we saw a big dip. It went down to 50%. So only half of all Americans uh, were members of a church, synagogue, or mosque. And I was asking the Lord, like, Lord, what happened? Why was there that big dip in 2018? And I believe the Lord was like, look back over the last decade. Look, look at the decade um, before 2018. From like 2000 to 2018, look what was happening in the churches. Many churches during that time adopted a strategy that would accommodate safe spectator Christianity. Instead of making more space for God, they focused on making people more comfortable. And while we do love people, the church's mission has never been to cater to what people want. I read this the other day. My friend Kristen sent it to me, and it rings true. It says, consider that for a moment, we, the church, claim to love people. But some of what we do in the name of being inoffensive encourages people to live comfortably in their sin, struggle, and status quo. This is the very opposite of love. Our aim is to make the Holy Spirit comfortable so that he can minister freely. And instead of encouraging people to remain stuck in their comfortable spiritual status quo, the Spirit can draw them to that crisis point of the altar. Altars filled with empty, broken people attract fire from heaven. Bottom line, we don't love people when we are preaching messages or creating environments that make them comfortable living in something, sin, status quo, spirituality, that will ultimately destroy them. So it turns out, based on the polls, people weren't looking for comfortable. Okay, And then in the four years um, before the pandemic, so from 2016 through 2019, and I'm showing you this because I want you to see that we cannot blame COVID for the decline in the Western church. Because in 2016 through 2019, pre-COVID, an average of 34% of Americans said they were members of a church, synagogue, or mosque. And then from 2020 till now, that average has dipped to 30%. Now, it makes me wonder if this includes churches, synagogue, and mosque, I wonder what percentage of Americans are members of a local body of Christ. What's that percentage? I heard the other day that every Christian denomination in America is steadily declining except the assemblies of God. How did we get here? how did I love Jesus but not his church start trending? How did we arrive at this place where people want Jesus, they just don't want his bride, they just don't want his body? I think the obvious explanation is because the church has been without Jesus. In other words, people who don't want the church, they've probably been going to a church without Jesus, a church without his presence a church without his power, a church where beholding him is not of utmost importance, so it's not happening, and if people aren't beholding him, gazing steadily on him, then they're not being transformed into his image, and then we have a body that doesn't really look like the body of Christ. Gordon Cosby writes, soul slips away easily from a church or institution. You may go to any of these places and find that the spirit has departed and the Shekinah or the glory, the weight of the glory of God has gone. When a local church loses its soul, it begins to slip into mediocrity and is unable to give life. The average person doesn't even know when a church begins to lose its soul. It takes unusual, deeper wisdom to see it. And then when we see it, it's costly beyond words to retrieve it. This reminds me of King Saul. If you've been following in our Being Transformed journals, we're going through the story of David. And you know that uh, King Saul was anointed king by God, but the anointing left. And nobody really recognized it right away, except for Samuel, because Saul kept keeping on Um, He kept on keeping on for 20-something years as king, Um, like men were fighting alongside of him, sacrificing their lives for him, even though the anointing had departed. He ended up dying, we know, in battle, leaning against his own sword, which is a picture of what happens when we, like, uh, in Proverbs, where it says, if we don't trust in the Lord with all of our heart, but we lean on our own understanding, Saul leaning up on his sword in battle. That's a picture of what happens when we decide we're going to lean on our own understanding. It's like we're leaning into self-inflicted destruction. This happens to churches. The anointing leaves and the glory departs and usually at some point it's because um, like Saul, the church leaders and the church members alike are no longer willing to wait on God. (laughs) Remember the story when the anointing leaves. First Samuel 13, the Israelites are about to go into battle, but before they do, King Saul is supposed to wait. Somebody say wait. wait. They're supposed to wait for Samuel to offer the burnt offering on the altar because Samuel is the priest and only priests are allowed to offer sacrifices. So Saul is to wait for Samuel, who's gonna preside over the sacrifices, and then Israel is going to be spiritually ready to go into battle. So Saul waited, he waited for Samuel for seven days. The amount of time that he had been told by Samuel to wait but the prophet scripture says did not come to Gilgal and the people began to slip away from Saul. This was a test. Would Saul exercise patience? Would he like the disciples gathered in the upper room, would he keep waiting? No when he realized that in just a few more days, if things kept going at this rate that he would have nobody left in his army, he decided to take matters into his own hands. He panics, he stops waiting, he performs the sacrifice himself, and it is this act that causes God to tear the kingdom away from Saul. The glory departs when leaders take things into their own hands when they take matters into their own hands, when we decide that we have better things to do than wait on God, when we decide that we are the head of the church and that Christ is not, when we see people leaving the church and we make compromises to try to get them to stay, when things aren't happening on our timetable and we force things, when we stop waiting, when we stop praying, we, when we stop seeking the presence of God, the glory departs, the spirit leaves, and because the Western church is so used to church without power and church without presence, no one really notices. A church without altars is like a king without anointing. When a local church loses its soul, it begins to slip into mediocrity and is unable to give life. I believe that grieves the heart of God. Now, most churches have physical altars, whether they're like the beautiful, ornate, want to get married there because the altar's so stunning variety, or they are the simple, sleek, modern, nicely lit altars, um, looks good on YouTube live kind of altars. Most churches have altars, a place where they designate like that's called the altar, but I'm not talking about a physical place. I am talking about spiritual altars, spiritual places of encounter, of sacrifice, of worship, and of prayer. Remember, memorials, or altars are memorials of the places where God meets us. Now, oftentimes in the lobby, we'll meet guests. They'll come out to say hi to Pastor Josh and I and get their gift, and I know it's from a kind heart, and I know it's because they're just wanting to encourage us, but they'll say things like, we've been visiting a lot of churches, and this one ticks every box. You know, um, Great teaching. Uh, good worship, tick, like coffee, tick, good kids ministry, tick, Um, not too big, tick, not too small, tick, nice people, tick, like it ticked all of our boxes. But my hope and my prayer is that when people come into this room with their little checklist and their little boxes that they forget all about it because God breaks all of those boxes and they encounter the living God in such a way that when they get to work on Monday and somebody says, how was your weekend? They say, I encountered the living God. Like I went to this church and the Holy Spirit came and the Holy Spirit stayed. God met me there. And when I talk about encountering God, I'm not just talking about like in a goosebumps and tears kind of way, which I love when that happens. I love when like your emotions, your, all your senses are just aware that he's in the room. I'm not just talking about that kind of encounter, an emotional encounter. I'm also talking about like I encountered him in a person. Like I'm walking through the halls and somebody stops me and says, how was your week? And I um, told them, and then they prayed for me, and I encountered God through that person. Or I encountered him during worship. Like I came in and, you know, kind of half awake and I'm singing the songs. It feels a little bit like karaoke for me. But then there's this moment when I can hear all of these voices singing in unison and faith comes by hearing and my faith is stirred. And all of a sudden, instead of just singing about how great my God is, like it moves from my head to my heart. And I know that I know that I know that my God is great and my problem becomes microscopic. Or I I encountered him through the teaching of the word. Like we beheld him in the word of God and it cut me where I needed to be cut and then it was like refreshing dew where my soul was dry and weary. It cut and it refreshed. I saw him when I got a revelation as we went through the word about forgiveness and how I've been forgiven much. And all of a sudden, even though this root of bitterness has been in my life for 20 years, I was able supernaturally, instantaneously to forgive because I encountered the living God. I encountered him through this moment of lingering. They were like, we're going to stay. You can linger if you want. And I was like, what's lingering? What am I waiting for? I don't know, but I felt like I was supposed to wait. And I waited, and God met me there. I encountered him through my kids when they got in the car. And I could see that they had encountered him because their faces were radiant with joy. I encountered him through the spirit of prophecy. When somebody's walking through the hall and they say, hey, I saw your face this morning and um, while I was getting ready, and I was just praying for you, and the Lord says this, this, and this, and it is exactly what you needed to hear, and nobody could have known except for the Holy Spirit. Spirit, I encountered him through the spirit of prophecy. This is what God wants. He wants to encounter his people, but what do you want? What do you want when you come to church? Scripture says that where two or three are gathered in his name, that he'll be there among their midst. When we gather in his name, when you come in here, whose name are you gathering in? I hope it's not in the name of New Song Church. I hope it's not in the name of Josh and Sarah Blunt. I hope it's not in the name of community. I hope it's not in the name of tradition or habit. I hope that you're coming in the name of Jesus. I hope that when you walk through those doors under your breath, you say, I'm coming in the name of Jesus, the name and the nature of Jesus, because when we come in his name, where two or three of us come together in his name, he is there in our midst. He comes where he is wanted. What do you want when you come to church? Maybe it's a challenging and encouraging message. Maybe you want great worship that's not too long with a couple of your favorite songs. Maybe you want worship that is super long and is super spontaneous. Maybe you want a break from your kids and you know we have longer services than most and great kids ministry and you're like, I want a 90 minute break from my kids. (laughs) Maybe you want to meet your future spouse. Maybe you want to hang out with your friends from students. What do you want when you come to church? What if we laid all that stuff to the side And we said, I just want to encounter the living God. I just want the Holy Spirit to come and I just want the Holy Spirit to stay. I just want to behold him so I can be transformed into his image and look a little bit more like him and have a little bit more of his glory on me as I leave this place. Can you imagine? Can you imagine if everybody came into this room with that mindset? Can you imagine what he could do with that kind of faith, with that kind of unity, with that kind of singular focus and passion that if we all came in his name and if we all came in his nature and if we all came saying, we're here for you, we just want you. I know God will bless that kind of unity. We don't wanna be a church where the presence slips away. We don't wanna be a King Saul church We wanna be a church that is pursuing the presence of God. We wanna be a church that knows how to wait on God, even when it gets uncomfortable, even if people are leaving. We wanna be a church that knows how to wait. We wanna be a church filled with altars of encounter, altars of sacrifice, altars of worship and prayer. King Saul was not interested in God's presence. Did you know that the Ark of the Covenant, the Ark of God's presence, that it was stolen away during King Saul's reign, and he never got it back. He never got it back. Now, it would have been a relatively easy task to restore the Ark of God's presence to the Holy of Holies in the Tabernacle of Moses after it had been brought back from the enemy territory. The enemies that stole it brought it back quick. They were like, we want nothing to do with this thing. And it ended up in this farmhouse, um, this guy named Abinadab, and it stayed there for 70 years. The Tabernacle of Moses was just five miles away but nobody went to go get it. Nobody cared to have the presence back at the center until David came along. After God gave David Jerusalem and after he made David king over all of Israel, David made God's presence his first priority, that I'm going to go get the ark and bring it back in the middle of God's people. He wanted to go get the ark because he understood something. He understood that the presence of God was more than a mascot or a relic or a good luck charm. He understood that God's presence was to be at the center of Israel's focus and of their very identity. I heard Corey Russell say once that David did a lot of things wrong. And boy, did he. He did a lot of things wrong, but he got the most important thing right. He made God's beauty his primary reward and he never veered from this overwhelming passion to dwell in the house of the Lord, to dwell in his presence all of his days. David knew something. He knew like Moses that God's presence is what distinguished Israel from all the other people on earth. God, would you send your presence to Israel? Once again, Lord, let your presence come let your presence come, let the world see. Thank you, Lord. It was his presence that distinguished Israel from all the other people on the earth. It wasn't their circumcision. It wasn't their food uh, regulations. And it wasn't their special holidays, which were all very distinct. But Moses said, no, that's not it. It's your presence among us. That will let people know that we are special, that we are set apart, that we are distinguished. So much so that Moses said, if you're not coming to this new land with us, if your presence isn't coming with us, then we don't want to go. David wants God's presence. He wants the ark back with God's people. And when he lets the people know, he's come up with this plan to recover the ark Everybody is super pumped about it. They have a new king who's over all of Israel. There's this three-day-long celebration. There's food and wine and cake carried on donkeys, which sounds so fun, by the way. Like, what a party. And there's wine and there's oil and there's joy. And, like, the national pride of Israel is through the roof. Um, I imagine it being similar to, like, maybe a, a small town and, um your team wins like the state championship or the the Super Bowl or whatever. And there's this big parade because you won the big game, right? And everybody comes out and like, there's so much pride for the city that you live in. And there's there's celebrating and like everybody is family and you put all your differences aside because yay, our city is the best because our football people are the best. (laughs) So it's kind of like that only better. It's like that, but better. So everybody is super hyped and they're super on board. They're like, yes, David, we're with you. Let's do this thing. So they head to Abinadab's farmhouse to get the ark. They load it on this new cart. And then scripture says, David and all the house of Israel were celebrating before the Lord with songs and all kinds of instruments. It's this huge parade, but then something happens that kills the mood, literally. Uh, the oxen that are pulling the cart wobble, stumble, and so the ark wobbles, and this man named Uzzah, he reaches out to catch the ark, and the anger of the Lord is kindled against Uzzah. God strikes him down because of this error, and he died there beside the ark. Now this had to have been, we know it was super heartbreaking, super frustrating, that this made David angry, He was confused, like this is a total buzzkill for the whole nation. They're just trying to get God's presence back where they believe it's supposed to be. So why did Uzzah have to die? He was only trying to help. He was trying to make sure that the ark didn't fall. But the problem was that God had given the people very specific instructions and very clear instructions about how the ark was to be carried and the new cart was not it. The ark was supposed to be carried on these poles on the shoulder of the priest. So this new cart, this was man's methodology. That was how the Philistines moved the ark when they stole it. And it makes sense to the natural mind. Oh yeah, of course, let's put it on a cart and let the animals pull it. It'll get there much quicker and probably uh, be less work, less effort, less amount of time. But this wasn't God's method. The church can learn something from this. The presence of God won't be controlled. It will not be manipulated. It will not be managed. And it will not be manhandled. I believe that the church is waking up, I really do. I believe the church is waking up and that the church is realizing that all the methods and all the mechanics and all of the metrics of the new carts we've created to easily grow churches and attract crowds and keep up with church trends and keep up with cultural trends, that they have not been working, 30%. I don't think the methods and the new carts are working. John Wesley said, it is not new things we need, but new fire. Alan Redpath said, we want God's presence very much, don't we? But we like to hitch his presence to some of our new carts. We like to add him. We like to add him to our list of organizations to load him on top of the mechanics of a busy church life a busy life, and then drive. How much of our service is really in the energy of the flesh, I wonder? So often we put forth our hands, but not our hearts. Good strategies can only get a church so far. But when the oxen stumbles, and when things begin to shake, and for instance, a pandemic happens, all of a sudden we see the machinery and our slogans and our give, go, grow, and our metrics and our methods will not hold up if we are not willing to do things God's way. David got in a hurry here. Saul got in a hurry too, but there was grace for David. You know why there was grace for David? Because he was a man after God's own heart, and even though he got a lot of things wrong, he got the one thing right. He was about restoring God's presence to God's people, so there was grace for him. And it hit me this week, as I was talking to Pastor David about this story, um, that over the last eight years of New Song Church, we've made a lot of mistakes, um, and we haven't done everything perfectly, and we've got our eyes off of the focus, off of the prize um, from time to time. But every year when the birthday rolls around, every September, I just can't help but thank God for His mercy. And Lord, why have you been so merciful to us? And... um, This week, he showed me, I've been so merciful to you because your heart has been to bring my presence to this city. Your heart has been, from day one, your heart has been to create worshipers. Your heart has been to build a priesthood around the presence of God. And that's why I've been merciful to you. Thank you, Lord, for your mercy. So David doesn't give up. Um, He stashes the ark at Obed Edom's house for three months and he does some intense Bible study. (laughs) And then he tries again. Now this time he informs the people that only the Levites can carry the ark because the Lord has chosen them to carry the ark and the Lord has also chosen them to minister to the Lord forever. I don't know about you, but that sounds like an amazing role. Like. I, to care, you are the ones that get to carry the presence of God and you get to minister to the Lord forever. That was the role of the Levites. Well, guess what? That is now all of our roles. First Peter 2.9 says, but you, you, you are a chosen people a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may minister to him all the days. You may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. We are to carry God's presence and to minister to him forever. Okay, so David has all the Levites consecrate themselves before this to prepare. He does not want anyone to die this time. So he makes sure that they're all ready to go. He's got the singers, the musicians. He's gonna fill the air with, with worship and rejoicing. Um, they've got the ark on, the, on the, the poles, on the shoulders. The worshipers are ready. Big parade, take two. Look at this in 2 Samuel 6, 12 through 15. It says, so David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. Like Try to see this in your mind's eye. When those who bore the ark of the Lord had gone six steps, He sacrificed an ox and a fattened animal. And David, see this with your mind's eye, and David danced before the Lord with all his might. And David was wearing a linen ephod. So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the horn. And they brought in the ark of the Lord and they set it in its place inside the tent that David had pitched for it. And David offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. This had to have been a wild, bloody, loud, super long parade. Okay, think about this. Every six steps, so like one, two, three, four, five, six, stop, David would have the priest offer up a sacrifice. Imagine the amount of work, how bloody this would be, how time consuming this would be. Somebody did the math, uh, not me. They said the journey may have been about six miles long. That's 31,680 feet. Okay, if each step were approximately two feet, six paces would be 12 feet. Six times two is 12. I can get that part. David could have stopped. 2640 times during this journey to offer oxen and calves. You know what this shows us, church? It shows us that sacrifice makes ready the environment for the divine presence. Sacrifice makes ready the environment for the divine presence. So I don't know if you realize this or not, but you know, you set up your online giving, you give. Um, 10% or more of your paycheck every, every time you get paid. It's just on automatic. It's being withdrawn. But that decision that you made to give sacrificially, your tithes and your offerings that were withdrawn from your bank account this week, that that sacrifice makes ready the environment for the divine presence The people that came and served our city yesterday for Serve Saturday, that sacrifice of their Saturday morning and their time, that prepares and makes ready the environment for the divine presence. Those of you who show up early for pre-service prayer and make coffee are in the parking lot, are back there holding babies, that sacrifice makes ready the environment for the divine presence. What kind of sacrifices are you making to make this house ready for encounters with the divine presence? And then I want you to notice what David was wearing. He's wearing a linen ephod. Now he's the new king, finally. He's the new king over all of Israel. He should be wearing like an impressive kingly robe and a crown, but instead he is wearing a linen ephod and he is dancing with all of his might. Um, An ephod is a priestly garment but it's not even a royal priestly garment. Like he wasn't wearing, like it talks about Samuel's robe. He wasn't wearing the robe of a priest even. Um, He's wearing what Samuel would have worn underneath his robe. So what do you call things that you wear underneath your clothes? Underwear. Now David is dancing in priestly underwear. Tyler Statton writes, David was symbolically saying, I'm not a king who is coming to sit on a throne. I'm a priest coming to lead you into the presence of God, but I'm the least of all priests, unqualified to wear the robes and tassels. And then David throws another curveball. Okay, he comes to this intersection and he can either go left or he can go right. If he goes left, he's going to take the ark back to the tabernacle of Moses and put it in the Holy of Holies in Gibeon, which is only a couple of miles away. But if he goes right, he's going to be taking the ark to Jerusalem, to the center of Israel. Now, everyone is expecting him to take the ark to the tabernacle of Moses, to go put it back in the Holy of Holies where it belongs so they can do things the way that were laid out for them to do in the book of Exodus. But David does not take that left. He takes a hard right and he heads straight into the heart of the city, into Jerusalem, to Mount Zion, where his own house was. The ark is not going back to the tabernacle of Moses. It's not going back to the Holy of Holies. The presence is going to this tent that David had prepared for it. Now, you Oklahomans, you know what a tent is. Like, a tent is a tent, right? It is an unimpressive, makeshift, temporary shelter. It's a tent. Now, I'm sure at this moment, when David makes this hard right towards a tent, that everybody braced themselves. Like, oh, Lord, somebody is about to get uzzed. <laughs> Let it not be me. We've got David dancing in his underwear and he's going the right direction. And I'm sure there's some people back there saying like, recalculating, recalculating. But he is not. He is dead set on taking the ark back to Jerusalem. He has another plan. He was not content to put God's presence back in Gibeon. He did not want things to be the way that they were. He wanted God near him. He wanted God at the center. He didn't want his throne to be on Zion. He wanted the throne of God to be on Zion. So David has this God dream. What if we pitched a tent? A tent where anyone and everyone can come and worship and pray, nothing fancy. Just an everyday space at the center of the city for prayer and worship where anyone can come and experience their own tent of meeting. You Remember when Moses would go into his tent and the glory would come down and he would talk to God face to face and then he would come out and his face was radiant. He had to veil it because the glory was departing, but he had the glory of the Lord shining on him, the tent of meeting. David wanted all of Israel to have access to a tent of meeting. He wanted all of Israel to have access to beholding the glory of God. He wasn't content just to dream this. He came up with a plan and he made it happen. He hired 288 worship leaders and prophets and elders to pray and worship in that tent, presumably 24 hours a day. Tyler Statton, again, he was a king leading a military during an era of tribal warfare, and he just emptied the national savings account for prayer, for presence, for pursuing the presence of God. Okay, for 33 years of David's reign, God's presence was back at the center of God's people. Men and women, slave and free, had access to God's presence. These 33 years were the only time before the resurrection of Jesus, that there were no restrictions on God's presence. David's tent is a New Testament reality in an Old Testament world. Now, what is interesting about this is that during those 33 years, there were two tabernacles that were coexisting at the same time. The tabernacle of Moses still existed over here. And then there was David's tent. There were two tabernacles. There were two types of worship. Now the tabernacle of Moses continued on with its system, its system of sacrifices, the priesthood, all of the ceremony, but there was no presence because the Ark of the Covenant was not there. The Ark of the Covenant was in David's tent. David's, or Moses' tabernacle had a structure, it had a priesthood, it had a system, but there was no singing, instruments, clapping, or rejoicing. They continued to go through the motions even though the glory had departed. There were still sacrifices being made there. They were lighting the candles, they were replacing the showbread, they were burning the incense, all so that one man could go into a room where there was no presence. Now David's tent, David's tabernacle was the new order. It was the new wineskin, the new priesthood. The priesthood was changing. It was all built around the presence of God. David's tabernacle was not filled with furniture. It was not broken up into these compartments, these rooms. It wasn't filled with furniture. It was filled with instruments and singers and praise and clapping and psalms and shouting and dancing and spiritual sacrifices. There were no compartments. There was just the holiest of holies and there was no veil. David's tent was a New Testament reality in an Old Testament world. It was a picture of how we now as the church, how we can worship and experience the presence of God in spirit and in truth without the veil. 2 Corinthians three eighteen it says, and we all with unveiled face, We don't have to veil our face and be ashamed that the glory is departing because the glory has come and it will not depart. It will just increase and increase and increase. We all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. It doesn't come from man. It doesn't come from man's methods, man's systems, man's good ideas. It comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Hear me, the church can have methods. The church can have strategy. The church can have structure. The church can have good buildings and great ministries. But if we don't have the presence, if we do not decide that we are not content to just go through the motions... I'm afraid this is what will happen. We will end up getting stuck at Mount Sinai in a fancy building with nice furniture and nice structure and a lot of great programs, but no presence. But God is calling us to Mount Zion. He's calling the Western church back to Mount Zion. And it may be messy and it may not look like we thought that it would look, but don't you want the real thing? Don't you want the real thing? I know that the, 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 this culture, the American culture is looking for the real thing. Right. Yeah. Michael mocked, David's wife mocked him and was appalled at how he acted in this parade of bringing the, the, um, the, the ark back to the tent. But David said, uh, when, when she confronted him, he said, I am willing to look even more foolish than this more undignified before the lord he said i'm willing to be the king of fools you know why because god called me out of that field and anointed me when my own father had forgotten about me everything i am all that i have is because of him i owe it all to him i'll be the king of fools for him i want the real thing this isn't for you michael this is for him And that's gotta be the heart of our church. This isn't for you guys. I love you, but this isn't for you. It's for him. And when we make it about him, you know what? People are gonna be drawn. What is going on there when we make it about him? Vance Havner said, the devil is not fighting religion. He is too smart for that. He is producing counterfeit Christianity. That's so much like the real one that good Christians are afraid to speak out against it. When's the last time you had a conversation with a friend who's going to a dead church and you're like, bro, I'm sorry, but I don't know if you've got the real thing over there. Like have you, when's the last time you really beheld the Lord? What, what's like the, the atmosphere of prayer and worship and sacrifice look like at your church? We're, we're afraid to speak out against counterfeit Christianity. Maybe the reason that people are saying, I love Jesus, just not his church, is because so many of our churches have turned into Moses's tabernacle without the ark. The American church has gotten a lot of things right, but what if we've gotten the most important thing wrong? What if a church on fire looks less like excellent productions and more like a king dancing in a priest's underwear? What if a church on fire looks less like millions of views on YouTube and looks more like a dimly lit room on Wednesdays at noon between a sandwich shop and a growery, people crying out, we want you here, Lord. What if it looks more like that? What if a church on fire looks less like neat and tidy A neat and tidy place that ticks all of the boxes and looks more like a bloody parade that's marked by sacrifice and constant reminders that it could have only been the blood. What if a church on fire looks less like worshiping our preferences and what we're used to and more like willing to wait on the Lord, even if it makes us uncomfortable. Bringing God's presence back to the center of our churches is what will bring back the power of God to the American church. Pastor Lee said that and I totally believe it's true. You know why? Because it's in God's presence. Why do we want God's presence here? It's because in God's presence that miracles are the norm. It's in God's presence where lives are forever changed. It's in God's presence where the hardest of hearts are softened. It's in God's presence where the heaviest burdens lift It's in God's presence where this goes from just being a Ted talk and a great worship set to a sacred encounter with the living God. It becomes an altar. Will there still still be messy and broken people and leaders? Of course, always. But we have to remember that altars filled with empty and broken people, that's what attracts fire from heaven. And if we are committed to beholding Him you know what? All the other stuff starts to grow strangely dim. And when people are petty or when people are not petty, they're just outright mean and hurtful, that stuff starts to grow strangely dim when our eyes are on Him and we're being, we're being transformed into His image. And all of a sudden, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, what do we do? We start to put on compassionate hearts and kindness and humility and meekness and patience. And we change. The messy and the broken people may not change, but our heart changes. I love Jesus. (laughs) And because I love Jesus, I love His church. I love His bride. I love His body. I'm inviting you to be a part of this body. I'm inviting you to take up this mandate of the Royal Priesthood Church. I'm inviting you to consecrate yourself, to live differently than the rest of the world. I'm inviting you to be a carrier of his presence and to minister to the Lord all of your days. I'm inviting you to come in these doors every week with this on your lips. I'm coming in your name, I'm coming in your nature and I want you and you alone. I'm here for you. I'm inviting you to wait on him with us. I'm inviting you to seek him with us, to pursue his presence with us. After David placed the ark into the tent, the Levites began to sing. And here are a couple of lyrics from their song. First Chronicles 16, eight through 11 says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, call upon his name, make known his deeds among the people, sing to him, sing praises to him, tell of all his wondrous works glory in his holy name let the hearts of those who seek the lord rejoice seek the lord in his strength seek his presence continually and that's what they would do for the following 33 years And that's what I plan to do. And that's what Pastor Josh plans to do and Pastor David plans to do here for the next 33 years, 43 years, 53 years, 63 years, however long we plan to continually seek His presence. Let's build altars together, guys. Let's build altars of encounter, altars of sacrifice, altars of prayer, altars of worship. Let's be coals huddled together, waiting for the fire from heaven to fall. If you would stand to your feet. I wanna close the service a little bit differently today. Um, We're gonna do altar ministry, but it will be at the very end when we're dismissing. Instead, I want us to join together as we're talking about the corporate altar. I want us to join together for a moment of corporate prayer and corporate repentance. Um, We see in scripture um, when the prophets would repent on behalf of a nation. And as I was writing this this week, I just felt like the Lord said, you need to take a moment with your church and you need to repent on behalf of the Western church that has grieved the spirit of God. And so we're gonna do that together. And if you would, I want you to just come this way and everybody grab hands. So like merge the aisles here. Everybody grab hands. And I want you to grab hands because I want the hand of the person that you're standing next to as it's in your hand, I want it to be a tangible reminder that we are called to be the tangible incarnate body of Christ here in the earth. And so I I want you to be really present in this moment. I want you to be thinking about like, this is not just a bunch of individual coals, but this is like, we're all coming together, united, repenting on behalf of the American church and asking God for his presence to come. So I'm gonna pray, you guys can press in with me and then we're gonna, you can go back to your seat after I pray. And then we're just gonna worship the Lord and wait on him. Sound good? All right, Lord. we repent on behalf of the Western church. Lord, we're sorry for the thing that we've made it. We're sorry when we've worshiped our preferences and our comfort. We're sorry that your body, that your bride, that your church has been impatient and not willing to wait on you. Lord, we repent if we have had a consumeristic mindset. We repent for the compromise in the Western church. We are sorry for when we've just gone through the motions. We are sorry for the counterfeit Christianity that's running rampant in our nation. We want the real thing. Our nation needs the real thing. we want you here Lord as Samuel was grieved over Saul we are grieved over the Western Church our hearts break let our hearts break for what breaks yours Lord we ask you to purify your bride to consecrate us we want to be set apart from the world we know Jesus that you're gonna return to a fervent bride from every tongue and tribe and nation, a bride that loves you with the entirety of her existence. We know that the biblical story does not end with a fainting, declining church, but with the people of God knowing who they are and prepared as your bride, filled with a consuming love for Jesus and crying out for your return. So we ask you now to fill us, fill us with a consuming love for Jesus. We don't wanna do this if you're not at the center of it all, if you're not gonna fill it all. So we huddle together today as your body and we ask you for fire to fall on these coals. Would you send your fire? We know we can't manufacture it. We know we can't produce it. We need fire to fall from heaven on the Western church. We need the wind of heaven. As we are gathered in this place in one accord, all believing, all expecting, would you send the wind and would you send the fire? Would you make this a place of encounter, of beholding, of sacrifice, of prayer, and of worship unto you, God, we want you here. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for listening. For more information on our church or for more resources to help you grow in your faith, Go to newsongpeople.com or download our app by searching for Newsong Church OKC in the App Store.